Hey, thanks, Robin, for that uh, reading. You guys are great. These are, these are, let's hear for these. It's unbelievable. Really great. Praise God. Yeah, I, I was uh, here the first service and didn't think they could get any better, and I was wrong. They got better. It was fantastic. Really, really, really good. And a shout out to everybody who's online uh, right now watching from wherever. And those of you who are in uh, Wood County uh, Jail, hey, uh, so good uh, to be with you uh, right now. Uh, my wife and I came up uh, last night uh, from uh, Madison uh, to spend the night and went out to dinner with Dan and Pam and just really enjoyed our time uh, together. You guys know you have a really great pastor here, right? And Dan, fantastic. And I realized last night why he's such a, a good pastor because I never really met Pam until last night, but that's the reason uh, that he is a good, he married up when he married Pam. So uh, there you go. So that's, that's right. And that's absolutely true, is it, brother? <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen, if you came to uh, Madison, to Blackhawk, and if you ever hear me preach there, um, uh, one of the things you'd probably uh, hear me talk about is the stars, because I love the stars. Uh, Whenever I'm depressed, I just like look up at the stars, and I'm just like, what? It's unbelievable. So um, people who study the stars tell us that uh, everything that we see in the night sky with our eyes, unaided by like binoculars or telescope, all of the lights that we see are in our uh, own uh, galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. We can't see outside of our galaxy. All those lights are in our galaxy. Five of the lights, stars are fixed. So depending on what you know, day, month, that day, month, the next year, it's gonna, everything you're going to see is the same. All the lights are fixed, except five lights don't behave like the other lights. Five lights, they wander. What are those lights called? Five lights that you see. Planets. So the Greek word for wander is planeo. So that's why they're called planets. They don't behave like the other lights. They're not in the same place all the time. They kind of wander. And all of these lights are in our galaxy except one exception. Very, very cool. Very cool. This is a cool story. So you've got to be in a really, really far away from the city and far away from city lights. But if you look up at the, a certain time of the year, and really most of the year, and if you look for uh, a constellation called Cassiopeia, uh, which like, kind of looks like a W, then you can see a fuzzy little thing off to the side of one of the points of Cassiopeia, and it's M31. It's the Andromeda Galaxy. It's the only light that we can see outside of our galaxy. You guys follow me? So there's this gazillion star, gazillion lights. And the only one that's outside of our galaxy is that little fuzzy, little fuzzy thing. So here's a little, little tip for you. When you look up at the night sky, the lights are not labeled like that right there. Just, just telling you. It would be wonderful if they were labeled. But they're not labeled. And the lines in Cassiopeia aren't there either. Just help you out there. So, and that really makes it difficult. Absolutely, if you get a really dark night and you look up, and if you're in the wilderness or some place, like I go wilderness fishing in north of the Boundary Waters in Canada. It's called the Quetico 
And it, the, the lights are so bright, you just can't, you lose the, you can't even see the Big Dipper, like, where is it? Because everything is, how you guys doing? That one fuzzy light is outside of our galaxy. It's the Andromeda galaxy, and it's big, 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 big. That's why we can see it. Here's a close-up of the Andromeda galaxy. Very big. So this is the closest galaxy to us. There are billions of galaxies. Boom. <laughs> now with the James Webb telescope, there's, they're thinking that, because Hubble was, you know, like talk stars all night, but Hubble, we were thinking 100 to 200 billion. But now we're thinking there might be a trillion galaxies. Ooh. Ooh. So if I was going to help you with a model of how big Andromeda is, and I use this to help you with that. So uh, let's say in this uh, box of salt, every one of these grains of salt that represents a star, every one of them, okay. So if I was gonna do the design right, I would like get in the middle here and I would kind of pour out the salt. Like, in, like a spiral, like, like that. And to, to get the right number of stars, every grain represents a star. How many boxes of salt do you think I would need? Two? Ten? Yeah, I would need 10,000 boxes of salt. Every grain is a star. And the, the spiral that I would make Every grain is a star. The spiral would have to be as big as like this room. Maybe, maybe, maybe as big as the parking lot. No, no, no. People who study this, they tell us the spiral I would have to make would be as big as the orbit of the moon around the earth. With every star being a grain of salt. That's Andromeda. One of billions of galaxies. The only galaxy we can see, only light, unaided. You look up, you see that, very fuzzy. If you're interested in stars and you like to learn more about them or you just don't believe what I told you, <laughs> here's a book and it's called 365 Starry Nights written by a guy named Chet Ramo, and I like this book because it's simple. <laughs> and it's got big pictures like that. And you can go to every night of the year, so this is like March 12th, and you look up March 12th, and it says, yeah, if you look up here at this place, you can see cancer, a thing called a beehive, and it's just really simple. Uh, astronomy textbooks is like, you know, you need a math degree to be able to understand them. I just think simple is good for me. Or you can use an app, and so these apps are free. So the one's called Skyview, and one's called Starwalk, and you can get one of these apps, put it on your phone, and then you just hold it up, and it actually draws the lines for you, and it tells you what you're actually uh, looking at. That's a cool uh, app to have, free app. It's like, why don't you have it? It's just unbelievable. When I'm depressed, I look up at the night sky, because the night sky just reminds me of how great God is. It's like, what? 
God is like unbelievable because God created all of those things. I think the most important verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's like he's in the category by himself and he creates all of this. It's like, wow. Psalm 19.1 goes like this. The heavens, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they speak. They're, but their voice is not heard, and they're constantly speaking to us. God is great. God is great. You have no idea. But if in our theology, when we think about God, all we think about him is that he is great and powerful and unbelievably awesome, we have a deficient view of God if that's all we think about with God. Because God is not just great and powerful. He's also good and loving and generous. God is great. God is powerful. But he's also loving and good and generous. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big, actually better than that, to tell you the truth. That's what we're going to talk about today. So take your Bibles, and we'll turn to the passage that Robin uh, read for us earlier. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Grab a Bible. We'll have it on the screens also, or one of your devices, and look at Matthew 7, 7 through 12. This is towards the end of uh, what famous thing did Jesus do in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? This is a famous piece of literature. It's called the, when I can do this, you can participate in the sermon itself. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he's getting towards the end of this in Matthew 7. Here we go. You know, hey, you guys, listen, I'm going to probably do this a lot, and when I do this, you can actually participate in the sermon. Just go ahead and speak. Is it good? I may never be invited back here, so I'm just telling you, you can, you can do that. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? <laughs> or, or if he asks for fish, will give him a steak? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, verse 7 through 11 looks like he's talking about prayer, and he is talking about prayer. And then verse 12, so in everything, do to others what... It looks like it's tacked on. It looks like, well, we should really stop in verse 11, and I don't know what verses 12 is doing there. That's on first reading. That's kind of what we think. But verse 12 is very important because verse 12 uh, forms the, uh, kind of the back end of a, a kind of a bookend of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Every sermon has an introduction, a body, and then a conclusion. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, does that. So his introduction uh, to the Sermon on the Mount is um, 
Matthew 5, 3 through 16. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So this is his invitation to the kingdom. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's his invitation. That's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And then in 517, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then, boom, he starts the body of the message. And he talks about six different lessons about the new law. You've heard that it's said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he repeats six different times. And then in chapter six, he talks about three lessons about practicing righteousness. And then some lessons for kingdom living. And that ends 712. And then he does, he, then he, his conclusions follow 712. Make a decision. Make a decision. That's his conclusion. There's two kinds of trees, two kinds of gates, two kinds of builders. You know that part at the end. Who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like the wise man who builds his house upon the... Remember that thing I said when I did that? You can participate. The rains come down, the streams rise, and the winds blow and they beat against that house. But that house will stand because it has its foundation on the... But whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who builds his house upon the... And the rains come down and the streams rise and the wind blows and beats against that house, and that house will fall with a great crash. That's his conclusion. Right before he gets there, he ends the body of his message with 712. And it's just like 517. These are, here are the verses. 517. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Boom. And then he goes on. And then at the end, 712. So in everything, do to others what you have them do. For this sums up the law and the prophets. See how the book ends. Boom. Boom. So 712 is intricately connected to what's just preceded. The immediate context about God being good and the entire Sermon on the Mount. How are you guys doing? Do you follow me? 712 is not just tacked on. Trust me. <laughs> He's got a plan. So before we get to 712, let's look to see what he has to say about prayer. 7-7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for... What's that word in yellow? Everyone. It's the English word. It translates to Greek word, and the Greek word means everyone. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Yeah, everyone, that's a problem, isn't it? Everyone, that's a problem. Because what it looks like it's saying, that everyone who asks receives, that's, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like you said. And that's not my experience. Right? That's not your experience. Every time you ask, do you receive? You, No. It looks like something somebody would say on Sunday, but they don't know the way life works out Monday through Saturday. It looks like religious mumbo-jumbo. That's what it looks like. 
Really? Good. Sing about that in church, but you don't know the way life works. Because I've asked, I've sought, I've knocked, and I've not received, and the door stays closed. That's the real experience. So, Pastor, what's your name? Chris? I got a problem with what Jesus is saying. I do too. But before we start this message and talk about our problem with it, let's just give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and just act like he might know a thing or two about prayer. Just saying. Just saying. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. What's he really saying about prayer? Well, from Jesus' perspective about prayer, He thinks it's simple. It's simple. Ask, they'll be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door. That's pretty easy. Ask. Just ask. It's going to be given to you. Seek. Oh, you're going to find it. Knock. Boom. Door opens. That's simple. From Jesus' perspective, prayer is simple. Prayer is not about the skill of the prayer, but it's about the goodness of the God that we pray to. That's what prayer is about. I run into people all the time who say, Pastor Chris, I just don't know what to say when I pray. I don't know, you know, when you guys pray, it sounds like, well, I don't know, I don't know how to pray. I just really don't know what to say. Stop, 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 stop. Don't make difficult what Jesus makes simple. Ask, just ask. That's it, according to Jesus. Don't make it difficult. Just ask. From Jesus' perspective, prayer is is really simple. Just ask. Because it's not based upon the skill of the prayer. It's based upon the goodness of the one we pray to. That's that's what he goes on to say. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? This is a joke. This is Jesus' joke. This is what's happening. If you were in the audience, the very first time Jesus said this, it's a crowd of people on a hill. And if you say, which of you, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, people would have gone, that's funny. You get it? Dad, hey, Dad, I would, I'd like some bread, Dad. Here's a rock for you. See, that's what he's saying. If your son asks for fish, uh, you'd give him a snake. <laughs> Dad, can I have a fish? I can have... Yeah, you can have a fish. Here's a snake for you. See, that's funny. See, like, if you're evil, and you are, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father in heaven be able to give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you see the force of the argument? The force of the argument is from lesser to superior. That's the force of the argument. If you, and you guys are messed up, you know how to give good gifts to people who ask you, how much more will your Father in heaven be able to give good gifts to those who ask him? You see the force of the argument from the lesser to the greater. You guys are a mess. 
<laughs> and you know how to do it. God, he's amazing. He really knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. That's what he's doing because prayer is not based upon the skill of the prayer. It's based upon the goodness of the God we pray to. So if I'm going to summarize the message, my message would be, here, here's it is. God is good, therefore we should pray more and more and more. That's the message for today. I finished early. Let's pray, and you can guys can go home and eat. That's the whole message right there. God's good. Therefore, we pray more and more and more. Yeah, but, but, what about all those times I've asked, and it just feels like I'm praying to the ceiling, my prayer goes up, and it just ricochets right back down. What about that, Pastor Chris? Unanswered prayer is a problem. Nothing will kill your, kill your prayer life like unanswered prayer. I'm not talking about praying for things that don't matter. I'm talking about praying for things that, you, that really drive you, that, that, that drive you to the throne. And you're on your knees and you're, and you're begging. And God says, boom. That'll kill your prayer life. Kill your walk with God, actually. Simple things. I'm going to talk about that. Whether the Packers beat the Vikings, really, who cares, really? Or you get a parking place, or you're getting an A on your test. Those are simple things. I'm talking about things when, when a loved one is dying, and you're praying, and they, then they die. They kill, kill your prayer life. Unanswered prayer is a problem. It's always been a problem always been a problem. There's verses in the Bible about unanswered prayer all over the Bible. Here's one from Lamentations. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. This is Jeremiah. If you know anything about the life of Jeremiah, his whole life is unanswered prayer. His whole life. And there's, oh my God, you're, you're covered Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? If you read the book of Psalms, Psalms are filled with this. It's your cries. It's the human cry from the heart. Psalms are filled with this. Because God's people have prayed and prayed and prayed, and God says, request denied. Request denied. All over the Bible. God's best people. Here's just a few. Moses pled with God to allow him to accompany Israel across the Jordan River. Request denied. David pled with God for one week to allow his infant son to live. Request denied. Job pled with God to take his suffering away. Request denied. Habakkuk prayed for deliverance from the Babylonians. Request denied. Jeremiah prayed that Jerusalem would not be destroyed. Request denied. Paul prayed for the removal of his thorn in the flesh. Request denied. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass. Request denied. These are biblically unanswered prayers. Let me give you my own personal list. Here's my list. That my dad would survive his leukemia. Request denied. That my brother-in-law's marriage would survive. Request denied. 
that some good friends would be healed from their diseases, request denied. I've just buried two friends who died from pancreatic cancer, and one of my very best friends is suffering with pancreatic cancer right now, and I'm praying for him. He's probably going to die. That my mother would lose her mind, request denied. She would not lose her mind. She, she, I'm sorry, Mom. That is, my, that is my bad there. Sometimes the Bible um, tells us why God doesn't answer our prayers. Here are a few things that the Bible says about why God would not answer our prayer. When we ask, we may ask with the wrong motives. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Here's another reason we don't get what we pray for. We may cherish sin in our heart. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And then uh, when we don't care about justice, uh, God won't answer our prayers. We may not care for the plight of the oppressed. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash, make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fathers. Plead the case of the widow. This is kingdom stuff. God expects his kingdom people to live like kingdom people. And when we don't care about what's going on, God's like, I'm not going to listen to you guys. But some of us go, you know what, Pastor Chris? I do care about my walk. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I I, I don't cherish sin in my heart. I'm trying to do the very best I can. But still, still I pray. My prayers are not answered. Why? Thank you for thinking that I have the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've preached messages about unanswered prayers a lot. Some of the messages that I preached, I don't think are very satisfying. Well, God has three answers, yes, no, wait. I get that. I've done that talk before. It's not very satisfying. I've done the talk from Romans 8. You know, you don't really know how to pray. The Holy Spirit prays for you, so I don't really know. I get that. I get that. I get that. I believe it, but it doesn't satisfy me. My ache, my heart, when I have something that's going on in my life and I'm praying and praying. So, a passage like this is very helpful for me. Because in the face of unanswered prayer about things that you really care about, you can start to believe that God is not good. But this verse says, no, 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 no. Don't go there, because God's good. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big, better even. And oh my gosh, I I don't understand things that God has created. 
He's, he's so amazing. I can't, get my, I, can't get my mind, I can't get my mind around this planet, let alone this galaxy, let alone Andromeda. I can't, I can't begin to fathom what I can actually see. So what makes me think I'm going to be able to fathom all of God's ways and why he says no to me? I'm not going to understand that either. And I'm good with that. Because God is good. I don't understand all kinds of things that God is about. I, I could not fathom them. So if he says no to me, he must have his reasons, and I'm probably not able to understand them. Okay? So, how shall we pray? Well, let's go back to that passage. And let's take a few lessons from how we should not pray. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. To the, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. What's he not saying? What's he not saying? Well, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, the context is he's speaking against the Pharisees and Scribes and teachers of the law. He says, written in chapter 5, verse 20, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you'll no way get in the kingdom of heaven. So these guys are wrong. The, righteous, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes is about rules. It's about keeping rules. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness is not rules keeping. These people are wrong. Righteousness is about relationship, not rules keeping. So... What Jesus is not saying is that this is another rule. That's the way the Pharisees would turn this into a rule. And they would say, okay, I did it. Now you answer my prayer, God. Right here it says it. It's turning that into a rule that you obey. Boom, boom. Now, that's, that's the way the Pharisees think. No, he's, he's not this. It's not about rules keeping. Because anybody who's about rules keeping, basically what they're doing is they're saying, God, you're in my debt now because I did this. Really, you think you can put the God of the universe in your debt? Really? Really? People who want to put God in their debt, they think prayer is like magic. And he's saying, prayer is not like magic. You know, magic is like, you, you know, you've got a, Aladdin's lamp and you go, I wish, 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 boom. That's magic. Prayer's not like magic. If prayer was like magic and we got what we wished for, I'd stop praying right now. I would stop. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Have you wished for things? You're sure glad you didn't get that, right? I mean, I've, I've, I've wished for things like... I've prayed for things. Man, I'm glad I didn't get that. Before I met my wife, I was in love with a woman named Gina. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that Gina and I would end up together. We didn't end up together. Praise God for unanswered prayer. Because then I met my wife, Becky. If God would have answered that wish in prayer, I would have never, I wouldn't be standing here right now. That's for sure. How you guys doing with that? You okay with that? Can you praise God for unanswered prayers? 
I can share that. Uh, everything that I say in messages, I, I run past my wife and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about Gina, you know, before you. And she said, uh, that's okay. She said that because there's a Ryan in her life <laughs> that she prayed, and, you know, we're going to be together. Well, God didn't answer that prayer. You guys have life groups? This is a good thing to talk about in your life groups. Just go in your life groups and, and talk about how you're so pleased that God didn't answer all kinds of prayers that you prayed. If prayer was like magic and we got whatever we want, I'd stop praying in a heartbeat because I've wished for some really not good things. Yeah. And Jesus is saying God's not like a bad parent. Like what's bad parent? What, what do you call kids that get whatever they want, whenever they ask for it, all the time. You call kids like that, what, spoiled? Yeah. And what do you call parents that give the kid whatever they want, whenever they want it, all the time? You call those people? Grandparents. That's exactly right. Grandparents. Praise God. That's exactly right. Because when our grandkids come over, whatever they want, we give it to them. My, my gosh. Our grandson Silas comes over. He's six years old. He wants chocolate. We help him find the chocolate. We help him unwrap the chocolate. And he's at home. They're like, wait a minute. God's not a grandparent who gives his children anything they want whenever they want it. He's a good, he's a good parent. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big, bigger, better, actually. But unanswered prayer still happens. Uh, and so here's, here's uh, what one family in Blackhawk did to help their kids teach them about the value of prayer. When they uh, pray, uh, they, they write the prayer request down. And we got a book, paper, list, stuff like that. And then whenever a prayer is answered, uh, they like cut it cut that out, that prayer out, and they put that little slip of paper that answered prayer, they put it in a big glass jar. And at the end of the year, they open up that jar and they just pull out answers to prayer. Boom. What do you think those kids are learning in their home about prayer? All right, let's look at verse 12. Verse 12. So... In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Which word in that verse do you think I believe is the most important word? Which word? Yeah, so. So some people refer to this as the golden rule. Have you ever heard of it called the golden rule? And that is the word that no one recites when they recite the golden rule. But it's the most important word in the verse. God is a really good God. If your kids ask for you something, you don't give them something like a stone or a snake. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven be able to give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, you see that God is good, so you be good. You follow that? That's what's going on there. So you be good. 
Do you, uh, do you like it when someone shuts the door in your face? No. So you open doors for people. Do you uh, like it when someone tells you, no, no, no. So you say yes to people. See? See how that's connected? So in everything, you do to other people what you would have them do to you. You open doors. You say yes. You're generous. You're good. Like God is good. This is kingdom mindset. Kingdom is a place where things are yes, doors are opened, people are generous. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. So you be like that. That pretty much sums up the Bible. That's, that's what he says. This sums up the law and the prophets and pretty much everything I just said in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what's going on. Years ago, I was um, um, 35 pounds ago. I was a gymnast, believe it or not. And I was a gymnast in high school and in college. I went to Indiana State uh, University, not IU, IU, that bad. Uh, Indiana State in Terre Haute, that's where Larry Bird uh, is from. I got a million Larry Bird stories if you want to ask me. There you go. So this is back in the uh, 70s. So in the uh, summer of 75, uh, I was 19 uh, then, and I'm 67 now, just to keep you from doing the math. Um, I ran a gymnastic camp in Evansville, Indiana, with another gymnast named Randy Nelson. And Randy and I uh, ran this camp. People would send their kids there, and you know, we'd spend the whole summer, no, not the whole summer, just a few weeks, you know, on our knees, basically, teaching back handsprings and cartwheels and stuff like that. And uh, one of the parents of uh, one of the uh, young girls that we were teaching, uh, his, he was a doctor in town named uh, uh, Fitzsimmons, Dr. Fitzsimmons. And he was kind of a very important person in the community. And um, we were teaching his uh, daughter, Meg, how to do back handsprings and stuff like that. And he just, she had a great time. And he just wanted to show his appreciation to us. So he asked Randy and I if we wanted to go out to dinner. Somebody saw that conversation he said, what did Dr. Fitzsimmons ask you? He wants to take us out to dinner. And they go, oh, yeah, you should do that. You should do that. So he picked us up, and he took us out to dinner. He took us to an exclusive country club that he belonged to. I'm not from the exclusive country club group. I had never been to a country club like this. This, is like, this place was, like, really fancy. I mean, all the waiters had, like, these white jackets that were, like, half like this. Every tablecloth had white on it. It was, everything is like, oh, my gosh. No money's exchanged. No cards are exchanged. Somebody just comes to him with a piece of paper, and he just signs. Like, and everybody knows who he is. I thought, whoa, unbelievable. So we sit down to eat, and, you know, everybody's Dr. Fitzsimmons, Dr. Fitzsimmons, here, here's my two friends. He introduced, he introduced us to the chef, like we're going to meet the chef someday. So he, yeah, these my friends. And, uh, and so, well, 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 what, what, do you, what, what can you serve, Randy and Chris? And so I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm from the Midwest. So, you know, I'm Midwest, I'm Midwest nice. 
Don't presume upon it. Oh, this is great. Oh, little old me here in this little event. What do you want to eat, Chris? Well, I'll take a hamburger. <laughs> Dr. Fitzsimmons looks at me and goes, that would be a mistake. <laughs> this is the best chef in Evansville. You don't want just a hamburger. Trust me. You, you, you make, he makes really good steaks. Oh, you know, I don't know if I should have a steak or not. Dr. Fitzsimmons, you want a steak, don't you? Oh, I'm not sure. You want a steak. Okay, I'll have a steak. <laughs> so, the steak comes out that the chef prepared. I'd never seen anything like this. It was a big white plate with like just one thing on it. Most of my plates are just piled with food and stuff like that. But they had lots of plates for that stuff. And I thought, what in the world is this? And that steak just was oozing with juice. And it was just about ready to fall apart. As soon as I touched it with my knife, it just went like that. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I took a bite of that steak, put it in my mouth, and... Just got to stop for a second. Something you don't know about me. My vocal cords are directly connected to my taste buds. So when anything goes into my mouth, it's like, oh my gosh, I go, oh my gosh, unbelievable. That's the way I eat. That's the way I ate last night when I was at the gym. I'm going, oh my gosh. So I'm taking that steak and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. And I'm just like, and I ate that steak in about like two minutes or so, you know. It was the best steak I've ever had. I mean, I, unbelievable. And Dr. Fitzsimmons, he's just kind of laughing himself like, oh my gosh. And he says, yeah, Chris, you want another steak? <laughs> if I want another steak, oh my gosh, I want another steak, like, oh my, but I'm from the Midwest, I'm Midwest nice, no, 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 I can't have another steak, oh no, that's okay, that's okay, it looked like you really, it sounded like you really enjoyed the steak, do you want another steak, no, Dr. Fitzsimmons, I can't have another steak, oh, I'm really full, I can't have another steak, no, you want another steak, don't you, no, I don't want another steak, it's okay, it's okay, and I know it cost a lot of money, that was a mistake. When I referred to how much it cost, that was a mistake. Dr. Fitzsimmons, he looked at me and he said, hey, Chris, you know I'm a doctor, right? Yep. You know I make a lot of money? Yep. You know it costs a lot of money just to be a member of this club? Yep. Do you really think if you have another stake, that's going to set me back financially? No, I'll have another steak. <laughs> Dr. Fitzsimmons is a generous man. God is much more generous than Dr. Fitzsimmons. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he wants to give things to us. Because he's a good father. So you've got to ask. Stop being Midwest nice. Ask. 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 And if he's not answering, ask. Keep asking. Because God's a good God. He's a great God. 
and you be good like God is good. You complain about the way the world is going and people aren't nice to you, you be good. You be nice. You say yes to people. You be generous. You open doors. You are the person who is like your father, different from the rest of the world. You be good because God is good. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big. Better, actually. Let's pray.